I'm now joined by Peter Belopetrovich, Vice President of Business Development at Innovative Portfolios, who back in March, they entered the ETF space with a conversion of two mutual funds into ETFs. So they, they now offer the Dividend Performers ETF, ticker IPDP, and the Preferred Plus ETF, ticker IPPP. Both of these are actively managed. Both obviously focus on income generation, which we'll uh, talk about. Peter is now joining me from Indianapolis. Peter, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much, Nate. Honored to be here. All right, so let's start with the obvious question, which is why do these conversions? Why did Innovative get into ETFs? Yeah, yeah, great first question to kick things off. So we... The reason that we looked at the conversion uh, was for a couple reasons, some for us personally as the issuer, as well as for the client benefits. Uh, so first and foremost, the client stays front of mind. So what we were able to do was greatly increase our tax efficiency, uh, as we'll get into the portfolio in a little bit. Uh, there are some things with options that need to be handled a little bit more carefully, but we were able to increase our efficiency that way. We are also able to lower our operating expense ratio significantly, um, so that was a huge plus for the end client as well. But for us personally, having a track record as a mutual fund, with this conversion, we were able to maintain that track record as well as our Morningstar ratings. And uh, as the trend of switching from mutual funds to ETFs, we we're able to get some greater distribution, greater marketability uh, capabilities as well. And tell us a little bit more about Innovative. How many other mutual funds do you offer? Who's a, a typical client of the firm, et cetera? Uh, so we started out as an RIA uh, serving retail clients. Uh, started back in 2001 with about $60 million in AUM and uh, some SMA offerings. By 2015, we crossed the billion-dollar mark and 20-plus employees. We created Innovative as the asset management arm for our uh, RIA. Um, so when we came out with the mutual funds and ultimately converted those to ETFs, we also offer still a handful of SMAs as well, and then there's a few other things in the works too. In, just in terms of the conversions themselves, uh, how cumbersome was this process? And I know that you're not on the legal side of things, but I'm assuming most of the mutual fund assets were held outside of 401k plans, which uh, made this a bit easier. What was that process like? It was quite cumbersome. Uh, <laughs> it was. <laughs> and it, it was about eight months for the entire process of the conversion to take place. Uh, lots of legal, like you alluded to, lots of compliance, lots of operations. Uh, for us, there was a couple different ways to accomplish it, but we did a direct conversion, uh, which, not to get too technical, but at the end of the day, we essentially closed as a mutual fund on a Friday and opened up that following Monday as an ETF. Uh, there's some other quirks that we're still working through along the way, which I'm happy to dive further into if you want to, but uh, it, it certainly was a process. Yeah, and, and to your point earlier, just to be clear, you carried over the previous performance track record, right? Which was That was a big part of it. Okay. Yeah, that was a big uh, a linchpin for us because we, we were very happy uh, with our three-year performance from when we debuted, which was right towards the end of 2018. Okay, so that's a perfect segue here. Let's get into these ETFs. And first up is the Dividend Performers ETF, again, ticker IPDP. Walk us through this, which I noted at the top. This has a little special sauce to it. A little bit of special sauce. Uh, steak and potatoes and French pastry, as I like to say. <laughs> but first and foremost, uh, we're pulling from the universe of companies that have increased their dividends for at least 10 years. Uh, that's the Dividend Achievers Index. 
we add a few other uh, downside risk-related filters, mostly focusing on fundamentals, valuation, and sentiment, uh, and then we rebalance twice a year. So pretty straightforward in that regard. Where it gets a little bit more interesting is, uh, in addition to this, we do an option overlay on top. Uh, we're selling put credit spreads on the S&P. This generates additional income, uh, but we're comfortable with that risk-reward to capture the volatility risk premium and in selling these put credit spreads as well. And can you just explain what a put credit spread is for people who are unfamiliar with that? Yeah, so what we're doing is we are selling a put as well as buying one, uh, but the net transaction of it is a credit, meaning that we're bringing cash into the account. Uh, and what we do is we structure these so we're continuously rolling them out in time uh, to, to keep bringing in more income. Uh, it is a bullish position on the overall S&P, so obviously with the base portfolio of buying individual stocks, as well as this bullish put credit spread, uh, we're confident that things will rise in the future. But for the long-term investor, this is a risk that we're willing to take. Uh, we feel like it's accretive uh, to the bottom line when invested over time. What percentage of assets in the ETF is typically, uh, are typically allocated to this bull put spread? Uh, so around 20% asset exposure, obviously that fluctuates with the market, but that's the goal in this fund specifically. It's a little different for the other one, but we'll get into that too. And how much downside risk is there with this uh, this put spread? I mean, how should investors think about that in the context of the rest of the portfolio? So it does go down a little bit. There is some added volatility because of the options in there. Um, we do capture a bit of the downside as well, but we feel that this is worth it because with doing that, on the broad S&P index, uh, we're long-term. Uh, we believe that we'll be able to figure things out and weather the storm no matter what the markets hold, and we continue to maintain that outlook and feel that this is worth it. And then in terms of the core positions with the dividend uh, stocks, dividend-focused stocks, these are 50 stocks altogether. How much active discretion is there? I mean, is this fully active going through evaluating valuations and, and fundamentals and those sorts of things and selecting those 50 out of the, the NASDAQ U.S. Dividend Achievers Index you mentioned earlier. I'm just curious, talk about the active management component. Yeah, so on the stock side of things, uh, we only rebalance twice a year, so it is less active in that sense. But as far as being active uh, in the way that we're different than the benchmark, we are significantly different. Uh, the way that we screen, uh, the stocks essentially come to us, and what that has led us to is a very big value tilt in that portfolio. So, for example, we have over a a 30% allocation in industrials uh, because of how the stocks come through the screen. But we, we're comfortable with that, again, because of the company's ability to weather whatever markets throw at them uh, and be able to come out on the other side and, at the end of the day, continue to raise their dividends. So we get a, a little bit of a pay bump every year. <laughs> okay, so that's the dividend-focused ETF. Your other ETF is the Preferred Plus ETF, again, ticker symbol IPPP. Walk us through this one. Yeah, so on the, this one invests in preferred stocks, and then we have the option overlay on top of this as well. So first and foremost, on the preferred stock side of it, this is a little bit more active. Um, because of the preferred stock market, it is a little bit more quirky when you start getting into credit ratings, liquidity, things like that. Um, but we do feel much more comfortable navigating this in an active way. Uh, some of the largest financial institutions, banks, insurance companies are the issuers, and we feel very confident in their ability to continue 
to pay their to pay these dividends that we're investing in. But this one does have the option overlay on it as well. Uh, it is a lesser degree. We shoot for roughly a 10% asset exposure here to deliver that additional income as well. Um, but we we really like the space. Peter, just taking a step back, because I think you know I always like to cover the basics on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Do, do you mind just explaining what a preferred stock or preferred security is? I know there are a lot of different flavors out there, but how do you like to explain these compared to common stock or common debt? Yeah, so they're most commonly referred to as a hybrid security. Uh, they have some attributes of each a stock and a fixed income vehicle. Uh, most commonly, we position it to our end clients as a fixed income uh, vehicle for them to gain a little bit of additional yield. Uh, I would never position a fixed income security, uh, excuse me, a preferred stock as uh, an equity security. I, I would never position that as growth. So we most commonly use it as a fixed income exposure for people looking for a little bit more income. Yeah, and in terms of that portfolio application, let's talk more about that because I, I've talked a lot about dividend paying equity ETFs on the podcast over especially the past couple of years and, and how I believe investors really need to think of these as residing in the equity sleeve of a portfolio. These, these aren't fixed income replacements, in my opinion. But to what you're saying, it sounds like you view preferreds a little bit different, that they may be a better fit for the bond sleeve in a portfolio. Do you want to just talk about how you view both of these in terms of portfolio application? Yeah, it's a fun back and forth. Um, I think from you have to look at it from the end goal. And so if someone's looking for something that yields a little bit more income, uh, obviously rates are rising now, but tougher income environment for the last 10 years or so. I, I think that makes most sense for them. Now, where the fun part comes into play is they do have a bit more correlation to stocks than to the fixed income market. So from that perspective, I could see someone considering them from a diversification perspective uh, on the equity side of things. Um, but when you look at the yields, you look at the coupons, uh, you look at the capital structure of the companies that issue them, I think it makes most sense as an equity when you're looking at it from the issuer perspective. Um, but I, I say that with the understanding that there is a, uh, a well-known investor by the name of Warren Buffett who also used uh, preferred stocks as a way to create his position in uh, Oxy most recently. So I, I can see both sides. All right, Peter, before I let you go, uh, I, I want to ask you a question. I ask all new ETF issuers, what's next? What's next for Innovative? It doesn't sound like you have any other mutual funds to convert. So what, what might we expect moving forward? Yeah, no other mutual funds to convert. We're continuing to build out the product suite. Like I said, currently we have uh, a handful of the SMA offerings, the two ETFs, and a private fund. We also have a USIT uh, that's in the works. And then uh, we're always looking for innovative solutions for intelligent investors, so we'll continue to build out that suite in the future. So stay tuned. Well, Peter, really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, congratulations on the ETF entrance. Thank you, thank you for joining me this week. Appreciate it, Nate. Thank you, sir. That was Peter Belopetrovich, Vice President of Business Development at Innovative Portfolios.